I hate dynasty trades. Hate them. With the fury of a thousand suns, I hate dynasty trades. I mean, I love dynasty trades, and I like talking about dynasty trades. I like voting on dynasty trades. Who got the better side of the deal on Twitter? You can search on Twitter, hashtag dynasty trades, and you can peruse transactions in dynasty. And yet I hate them. I like them. I enjoy them. And I hate them. Love lurking around the dynasty trades while simultaneously despising them, <laughs> right? Because I disagree with every dynasty trade. Most dynasty trades, I believe, are superfluous. I don't think they should have happened. I look at a dynasty trade, I take a step back and I say, one of these owners has no business doing a trade. There's no upside here. Why are you two even trading? You're just trading to trade. People do this in Dynasty all the time. They trade to trade. Well, I'm bored, so let's trade. If you're bored, join another Dynasty League. Don't do a trade just to do a trade. I'm in enough Dynasty Leagues as it is that I can barely keep track of who's having a rookie draft when, much less fire off trades in all directions because I'm bored. Oh my God. But I see a dynasty trade happen, or I see voting on a dynasty trade happen on Twitter, and I look at the results of the voting, and I'm always disagreeing, perpetually disagreeing with the dynasty trades, and or perpetually disagreeing with the public's opinion of who won a particular dynasty trade. A day can't go by without me seeing a dynasty trade happen, seeing the public vote on it, Dynasty Twitter votes on the trade. It's usually something like 80-20. It's very rarely 50-50. It's almost always 80-20. Team A won the trade. Team B lost the trade. 80-20, 80-20, 80-20. And guess who is the guy that's always voting with the 20% group? Raising my hand right now. You can't see me. This is not a visual medium. It's a podcast, but I am raising my hand. I am the one disagreeing. I'm on the other side of the public almost always with these incessant dynasty trades. Perfect example. Yesterday, I saw Julian Edelman traded for a 2017 first round pick and a 2017 third round pick. And of course, I picked the Edelman side. Edelman, Edelman, all day. Edelman, Edelman. Click, 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 click. How many times can I vote on this? Let me go log into all my various accounts and just vote on Edelman, 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 Edelman. You should either be getting Edelman or don't do the trade if you're giving up Edelman. Don't do that. What are you doing giving up Edelman now? He's only commanding a first round pick in trade. That means you hold on to him. I mean, are you kidding me? Just one first rounder and one third rounder? That's it for Edelman? Let me remind you, Julian Edelman in 2015 scored 19.3 fantasy points per game. That was number seven in the NFL. Plus 10.2 production premium. Plus 16.3% target premium. 70% catch rate. He even had a 57.1 19th in the league contested catch rate and a 1.97 fantasy points per target, 19th in the league. So across the board, Julian Edelman, productive and efficient. That's what we want. Productive and efficient, number one wide receivers on high volume offenses. I mean, that is what you want. When you are going to the grocery store and you're shopping for a wide receiver, I mean, those are what you're looking for in a wide receiver. And you're going to trade him for a player that won't even hit your roster until 2017. 
a player that has a 50% chance of ever being fantasy viable? That's right. A first-round pick only has a 50% chance of ever being fantasy viable. You can go to playerprofiler.com forward slash guides. There you can download the Dynasty Dominator. It's a 120-page manual for dominating a Dynasty League. And while I wrote many parts of it, there are major sections of the book that include information gleaned from the experts in the industry, from Rich Rebar to Jacob Rickroad to Ty Miller to Sean Siegel. In one of the chapters titled Youth Hit Rate, we quoted Jacob Rickroad from Rotoviz because he found, and this is unbelievable, that only 16.6% of rookie quarterbacks and tight ends ever finished with a top 12 season. Likewise, 16.6% of running backs and wide receivers ever finished with a top 24 season in fantasy. Think about that. Approximately a 15% chance that the rookie player will be fantasy viable. And then if you want multiple fantasy viable seasons on that player's resume, the percentage immediately drops to 6.9%. And then if you want that player to have a fantasy viable season in his rookie campaign, the percentage drops even farther down to 6.1%. So that third round pick that was added as a sweetener to get you to deal Julian Edelman, that's probably not going to hit, buddy. But what about the first round pick? The first round pick's definitely going to hit, right? No! First round picks only have a 50% chance of hitting, as I said earlier. A 50% chance that your first round pick will be either a top 12 quarterback or tight end or a top 24 running back or wide receiver. In the second round, the percentage drops to 26.6%. Third round, 6.3%. Fourth round, forget about it. You're trading Julian Edelman for that? Julian Edelman is past the age apex. I understand that. He just turned 30 years old, but he's only 30 years old. He still has two to three elite fantasy seasons left in him. He doesn't win with explosive athleticism, although that is something he possesses. 123.6 burst score is 63rd percentile. (laughs) So Edelman has great burst, elite agility, 100th percentile agility, a 66th percentile catch radius on playerprofiler.com. Julian Edelman is a tremendous athlete, but he's also a tremendous technician. So he's the combination that we love to see of the technician and the athlete melded together to form the prolific fantasy wide receiver, top 10 fantasy wide receiver in 2015. And there's nothing to suggest on his profile that he's not going to continue to do that for at least a couple more years. So why are you trading him? for essentially a 56% chance of a single fantasy relevant season. I mean, I don't, what are you doing? This is why I can't stand these dynasty trades because I always disagree with the public. And it's frustrating, man. (sighs) How can I feel better? How do I settle down? A buzzard email. And this buzzard message is brought to you by Apex Fantasy Leagues. Apex is the best place to play seasonal fantasy football for real money. With a skill-based format and industry-leading payouts, Apex ensures that the best fantasy players win big. Apex is now offering Dynasty Leagues as well. That's why I wanted to talk about Apex in the context of these Dynasty trades because Apex now does Dynasty. So go to ApexFantasyLeagues.com now and sign up today. (laughs) 
Buzzard writes in, So you are arbitrarily controlling for game flow based on your interpretation of coaching competence now? <laughs> okay, bud. Good talk. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that good talk, buddy. You're ridiculous. The fact that you're arbitrarily controlling for game flow based on your interpretation of coach and competence, that's just ridiculous. Is it? Because that is what I'm doing. And it's not just coaching competence. It's the entire situation. When calculating my 2016 redraft fantasy projections, I absolutely controlled for game flow, but not 100%. I was discerning about it. You could say I arbitrarily decided how much to control for game flow on a team-by-team -team and a player-by-player -player basis. I did that because defensive efficiency and play-calling philosophy carries over for some teams more than others, especially when the talent profile of the players and the coaching staff remains constant. Think about it. When you look at a team like Kansas City or Arizona, not much has changed with either the players or the coaches, so you don't want to do much adjusting based on game script. If Kansas City was a run-heavy team last year, they're probably going to be run-heavy again in 2016. If Arizona was a pass-heavy team in 2015, they're probably going to be pass-heavy in 2016. So you don't want to do much adjusting for the Chiefs and the Cardinals, but in San Francisco or Houston, you absolutely do. You have to throttle up Blaine Gabbert's volume, and you have to throttle down DeAndre Hopkins' volume. You just have to because you know the situations are different. In the second half of the year, Houston's defense was above replacement, and their quarterback just got worse. And they signed the most expensive running back in all of free agency during the offseason. So what does that mean? That means that teams will be scoring less points against them, and they will be running the ball more and trying to drain the clock in the second half. And that will hurt DeAndre Hopkins' fantasy output because his volume, his targets, will necessarily decline. We know that because we can be discerning about situations. So yes... I arbitrarily, quote-unquote, control for game flow based on my interpretation of the team and player situations. I do this because of course I do this. The fact that a buzzer would even question this process is bewildering to me. I mean, how could you not be discerning about how much to weight those various input factors? I mean, why wouldn't you be? That's my job. That's why I'm here, to make these kinds of judgment calls. How much should I control over game flow for the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Houston Texans? I mean, you don't have to be discerning. I don't have to control for anything. I don't have to make subjective judgments about any team or any player or any situation. I could just plug all the players in Excel and spit out rankings with an off-the-shelf formula. I mean, is that what you want? Because I can do that. That's a five-minute exercise, but I don't think that's what you all want. When you go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings... And you look at my rookie rankings, my dynasty rankings, the redraft rankings. You're not going there to see the output of a five-minute formula. You're paying for the rankings to view a snapshot of my subjective judgments about every player that will likely be fantasy relevant this season. I mean, some teams are trickier to project than others. I think we would all agree with that. Look at the Seahawks. The Seahawks are relatively constant personnel-wise, except for the glaring loss of one Marshawn Lynch. And the loss of Marshawn Lynch in 2015 nicely coincided with a change in their offensive philosophy and subsequent game flow and subsequent volume in 2015. 
And that's why I'm keen on talking about Seattle across all my podcast platforms. Seattle comes up a lot. Kansas City does not. Because the situation in Seattle is interesting. The Seahawks are not a cookie-cutter situation. Oh, going to be a run-oriented team like they always are. Going to have a great defense like they always have. Not necessarily. You cannot assume that the Seattle players and coaches are being truthful about their approach on offense when they speak publicly. That's something else that I lament. Because why would the Seattle players and coaches volunteer internal information? Why would they do that? What incentive do they have to be open and honest about their play-calling tendencies or play-calling plans for 2016? Why give away a strategic advantage? The Seahawks are one of the few teams in the league where we don't know what's coming in 2016, and that works in their favor. If I were them, I would be putting up a smokescreen about my game plan too. Wouldn't you? If I'm Pete Carroll, why would I be truthful? Why would I go out of my way to volunteer information about our game plan? That doesn't make sense. Unless I was lying about it. That's gamesmanship. That's what I would expect. What incentive is there for a coach to be truthful in a press conference? I can't find one. Yet, the things coaches say in press conferences are reported as facts. Yet, the coach is not incentivized to be truthful. They're not incentivized to provide facts in press conferences. They're incentivized to be duplicious. Why would a coach want the competition to know more about their players and their schemes? They wouldn't. So why are we reporting on and analyzing what they say publicly? I don't know. Why would the Bengals and the Bills be truthful about Tyler Eifert and Sammy Watkins injuries? I don't know. Doug Whaley just learned that lesson. The lesson not to flirt with the truth. Doug Whaley flirted with truth-telling, and then he accidentally said that humans should not be playing football, and he had to come out the next day and apologize. Whoopsie! Won't make that same mistake again. Telling the truth, bad. Coach speak, good. Platitudes, good. Truth, bad. Just go up in front of the microphone and say the generic thing that actually has no meaning. That's the lesson that Doug Whaley learned. We can glean exactly nothing from what the coaches offer to the media because even when it seems like they're providing information that goes beyond the cliches and platitudes, we don't know if they're lying or not. There's no lie detector on the podium. And it's worse during the season. Why the hell would a professional football organization want to open their doors and books and be 100% open and honest about next week's game plan or player health? It's just the opposite. They're incentivized to lie. I mean, have you ever wished that you could be as good at evading the truth publicly as an NFL general manager? Well, now you can thanks to Reality Sports Online, a powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team like an NFL general manager. Reality Sports Online was created by former NFL front office personnel and features a revolutionary free agent auction room, which mimics NFL free agency, enabling fantasy owners to negotiate and sign the NFL's top talent to single or multi-year contracts. The platform can host up to 32 teams and has tons of cool features, including free agency, a rookie draft, 
multi-team trades, franchise tag, injured reserve, automated contracts, and salary cap functionality. Much, 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 much more. It is the most comprehensive fantasy sports platform I know of. Test your general manager skills for free at realitysportsonline.com in a free mock free agency auction. And if you like what you see, use the promo code UNDERWORLD to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. Now, as we mentioned, fantasy also is getting real at playerprofiler.com. And I encourage you to visit playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings and pay for our rankings. That's what supports the site. You want to keep the lights on on the site? Are you worried that one day you'll go to playerprofiler.com and it will say page can't be displayed because the site couldn't support itself? That is a real concern that happens to websites all the time. So how do they keep the lights on? Well, they have to charge for something. And in the case of playerprofiler.com, we charge for the rankings. And I want to give you a handful of contrarian thoughts about the rankings. The compliment we get about the rankings is that when our premium users go to the rankings, the first thing they're struck by is, oh, wow, these rankings look different than the standard rankings I see across other sites. Most sites have some groupthink. They're all ranking certain players in the same tiers most of the time. But on playerprofiler.com, you will find significant contrarianism in play because we are not constrained by what the other sites are doing, what they're thinking, what their process is. We have our own process. We are confident with our process. And because of that, You'll see some players ranked higher on our site than anywhere else, and some players ranked lower on our site than anywhere else. For example, you probably won't find Kirk Cousins ranked as highly anywhere else as he is on playerprofiler.com because we have Kirk Cousins as a top 10 quarterback in fantasy for the 2016 season. We just dropped our seasonal redraft rankings. Kirk Cousins in the top 10. What? Say what? Kirk Cousins? Isn't he just a guy that got lucky last year? No, not at all. Far from it. First of all, he usurped a deity in Robert Griffin III. You think Robert Griffin III was easy to unseat in Washington? The owner loved Robert Griffin III. The fans, generally speaking, had a true affinity for Robert Griffin III. He led them to the playoffs in 2012 had one of the best seasons by a rookie player in the NFL in the history of the league, if not one of the most efficient seasons, at least one of the most exciting ones. And yet here comes Kirk Cousins ambling up and taking his job. Well, how did he do it? Well, because Kirk Cousins has a really strong arm. 59 miles per hour throw velocity on playerprofiler.com for Kirk Cousins. In addition to a league best completion percentage, what does that mean? That Kirk Cousins is that rare talent that NFL scouts are scouring the earth to find. The accurate quarterback with arm talent. A player who can push the ball downfield, who's also super precise in tight windows. He doesn't look like he has a strong arm. You would think Blake Bortles has a strong arm because Blake Bortles is 6'5", 240. He looks rugged. He looks like he can throw the ball a long, 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 long way. Kirk Cousins, not so much. 6'3", 214. Wah, wah. But Kirk Cousins has big hands. 9 and 7 eighths inch hands. That's 67th percentile. Kirk Cousins looks a lot like Tony Romo with big hands. Imagine 
Tony Roma with big hands. That's Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins last year finished with 19.0 fantasy points per game. That was 10th in the league. All we're saying is that he will repeat what he did, generally speaking, in 2016. Now, I don't think he'll rush for five touchdowns again. Or will he? If you're Jay Gruden and your other choice on the goal line is fumbling Matt Jones... Maybe they do continue to feed Kirk Cousins inside the five-yard line. We're projecting multiple rushing touchdowns for Kirk Cousins again this season. I don't think he'll be as efficient. Will Kirk Cousins have a top-five passer rating, a top-five total QBR? Probably not. The odds are stacked against any given quarterback being top-five in the league in passer rating, total QBR, production premium, yards per attempt. The efficiency metrics will likely go down. And that's fine, because we're also projecting the volume to go up. Last year, Washington only threw the ball 582 times. That was 21st in the league. But they have an average defense. The team has a bad run game. When Matt Jones is your starting running back, regardless of how good the offensive line is at run blocking, you necessarily have a bad run game. So bad run game, average defense. That means game flow will be working in Kirk Cousins' favor in 2016. Okay, so Kirk Cousins' efficiency will decline, most likely, and his volume will likely rise. Okay, but here's the problem. Kirk Cousins' fantasy output last year was buoyed by an incredibly easy schedule. Okay, I don't know what his schedule will look like in 2016. It's easier for me to project game flow and volume than it is for me to project the quality of his opponents in 2016. But if we look back at who he faced last season, did pretty well against Dallas the final game of the season, didn't he? Dallas finished top five in fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks last season. They were a stringent defense against fantasy quarterbacks, and yet in the final game of the season, Kirk Cousins had 176 yards and three touchdowns in the first half! He didn't even play the whole game. He didn't even play a full season because he only played 15 and a half games. He was pulled at halftime after throwing for three touchdowns. And if you say, well, okay, Kirk Cousins feasted on the Eagles and the Giants secondaries last season. Okay. All right. That's a great point. And fortunately, Kirk Cousins faces the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles twice again this season. So... That's a good thing. In the last year, Kirk Cousins led the NFL in completion percentage despite having one of the worst pass-blocking offensive lines in football. Go to playerprofiler.com. Look at Kirk Cousins' player page. You'll see a negative 19.9 offensive line grade that was 31st in the league. Washington was abysmal at pass-blocking, and yet Kirk Cousins finished with a 69.8% completion percentage. So let me get this straight. He had a league-bottom pass-blocking offensive line and still led the league in completion percentage? That is probably the most underreported accomplishment for any football player from the 2015 season. Off the top of my head, I can't think of a more impressive accomplishment by any single player last season than that. Then completing 70% of your passes under constant pressure in the NFL. This isn't college. This isn't the CFL. This isn't Germany. These are professional defenses that Kirk Cousins is doing this against. He had a 60% completion percentage in the red zone, and he had a 40% completion percentage on deep passes. 
all in the top 12. Why? Because Kirk Cousins is a fantastic quarterback. He's just really good. It's obvious. So when you take a talented quarterback, you increase his volume, and you improve his weapons by adding Josh Doxson. What do you think is going to happen? I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen. All I can tell you is that we're projecting him to at least be the same as he was last year. It's not like we're projecting him to make this giant leap in 2016 based on all these external forces working in his favor. We're not. The external forces are working in Kirk Cousins' favor, and all I'm saying is he'll stay the same. And that is a massive contrarian leap by me. Think about how incredible that is. So go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings and you can see some other incredible quarterback rankings that actually are completely obvious. And yet they're incredibly contrarian. Like Dion Lewis. Dion Lewis. Also, a top 10 running back on our player rankings, yet his ADP is outside the top 40 in MFL 10s. Why is that? I don't know why that is. I have no idea. Because Deion Lewis, like Kirk Cousins, was one of the most efficient players at his position last season. Plus 48.8 production premium was second in the league. Production premium measures every measures a player's performance on any given down and distance against league average. So it factors out game flow and field position advantages. It's a situation agnostic efficiency metric, and Dion Lewis was exceptional. Second in the league in production premium and first in juke rate. Evaded tackles per touch. That's what juke rate is on playerprofiler.com. What? So you're telling me that he had a 7.3 yards per touch, 48.8 production premium, and a close to 60% juke rate. I mean, those are eye-popping efficiency metrics. I haven't seen efficiency metrics that good across the board in the history of player profiler. So yes, I think it's safe to assume that Deion Lewis will be a top 10 fantasy running back in 2016 because the Patriots did not go out and draft a running back of consequence. And they didn't sign a running back of consequence in free agency. They simply re-upped with LeGarrette Blunt. And if you remember during the playoffs, during competitive games, LeGarrette Blunt played very little, especially in the playoffs when games were competitive. James White played more in the playoffs than any other running back on the roster. And what was he doing? He was doing James White bare minimalist things. And James White is a bare minimalist. When he receives a pass out of the backfield, he gets the bare minimum number of yards out of the play. And Deion Lewis is on the opposite extreme. Deion Lewis gets the maximum from his touches. So think about it. What will the Patriots do? You have Deion Lewis, who gets the maximum from his touches. You will probably feed that player. Wouldn't you? You will put him on the field. You will deploy him in almost every situation, and you will feed him. And that's what the Patriots did last season. Deion Lewis is nothing like Shane Vereen. Shane Vereen was a situational player. He came in when the Patriots were in the two-minute drill and were losing. He's a passing down specialist. That's not Deion Lewis. Deion Lewis had a 62.3% snap share last season. He was in the game in most game situations. He was taking handoffs from Tom Brady out of shotgun, and he was running routes out of the backfield and receiving dump offs. He was doing it all. And we've never seen a running back in recent memory as elusive as Deion Lewis. And what happens when you put all that together? You put the Patriots offense, which is one of the most efficient offenses in the league, together with one of the most efficient running backs in the league, 
Well, naturally, you're going to get 17.3 fantasy points per game, which is what Deion Lewis averaged last year. And all we're saying is that because Jimmy Garoppolo will be starting four games and likely checking it down to Deion Lewis more than Tom Brady typically does, and we're also saying that Deion Lewis will come back from his ACL injury healthy because all reports are that he's on track to play in the preseason And ACL replacements now are no longer a big deal. ACL replacement is almost an outpatient procedure at this point. Let me ask you this. Who was the last player that suffered an ACL recovery setback? Was it Denario Alexander on his 67th knee procedure? So there are no concerns about Deion Lewis's knee, and we're not projecting his role to change. If anything, his role will increase in his second year with the Patriots, now fully acclimated with the offensive system, and he might receive a receptions bump when Jimmy Garoppolo is in the game. So even though the external forces are, again, working just like with Kirk Cousins in Deion Lewis's favor, all we're saying is... Yeah, he'll probably remain the same as last year. And that's contrarian! That's crazy! So yes, you should be drafting Dion Lewis in the fourth round of your MFL 10s. And if his ADP starts to rise even a few notches on playerprofiler.com in the upper left-hand corner, we put both the MFL 10 ADP and the trending. How much has that MFL 10 ADP slot changed in the last 15 days? We put both numbers on the site just under the player's name. And if you see that trend start to change, if you see that ADP start to shift up, you need to start considering drafting Dion Lewis in the third round of your redraft leagues, both traditional redraft leagues and best ball draft master formats. Now, another contrarian player ranking on playerprofiler.com is our ranking of Brandon Cooks, because I believe Brandon Cooks will be this year's DeAndre Hopkins, the exceptional talent that received a target spike who was fed voluminous targets for the first time and was launched into WR1 status in fantasy. That's what we saw with DeAndre Hopkins last year, and I think that's what we'll see with Brandon Cooks this year. In 2014, DeAndre Hopkins finished 19th in fantasy points per game, and then in 2015, he finished 5th. Guess where Brandon Cooks finished in fantasy points per game in 2015? 19th. Brandon Cooks is this year's DeAndre Hopkins. Brandon Cooks' upside is top five wide receiver in the NFL. And he was efficient last year, plus 15.8 production premium, plus 11.6 target premium, which is Brandon Cooks' production on a per-target basis above or below the other receivers in the New Orleans passing attack. 8.8 yards per target. All were top 30 across the board. You take efficiency and you add volume and voila! You have a WR1 in fantasy. And the final contrarian ranking that I want to talk about today is Zach Ertz. I believe that Brandon Cooks will experience an influx of targets in 2016, as will Zach Ertz. In fact, I believe Zach Ertz could lead all tight ends in targets in 2016. It's true. He got 112 targets last year. That was sixth in the league. So it's not a major leap for Zach Ertz to lead the league in targets. Beyond Jordan Matthews, there's very little talent in the Eagles wide receiver core. And Zach Ertz led the NFL in tight end targets in the second half of 2015. So again, this is not a leap to say that Zach Ertz will lead the NFL in tight end targets in 2016. We're just projecting him to remain the same.